0: Most people of faith are are passionate about their jobs, but not many find a way to intersect their vocation with serving others. Um, Walk us through your sense of calling to take your expertise and apply it to create cost-effective wheelchairs in developing countries. go ahead and click that subscribe button and be sure to rate and review the podcast as it helps others find us. We want to give a special shout out to some of our listener supporters, Carson Fushi, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Carla Mike Wick, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a special shout out to our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Our guest for this week's CBF Podcast Conversation is Dr. Don Schoendofer. He is a biomedical engineer, an award winner of the White House Congressional Medal of Honor Society, and the founder of Free Wheelchair Missions. He's authored a new book, Miracle Wheels. Don, welcome to the conversation.
1: Oh, thank you. Pleasure talking
0: to you. Uh, we're going to get into the book in just a second, which uh, is woven into the fabric of uh, the organization you founded, but... Take us back to, and this gets into the book, take us back to the 17-year-old Don. At what point did you know that you were smart enough, uh, at least more than most, that that you were going to be heading to MIT to get a PhD?
1: Well, I didn't know about the smartness side of it, but I knew that was what I wanted to do. And I was doing everything I could in my power uh, to get there, uh, trying to excel in grades, trying to excel in SAT tests. I realized I couldn't get in through the front door, just going to MIT, coming from a small high school in a small city in in Ohio. So I, I went to a liberal arts um, Christian school in uh, Baldwin-Wallace in, in Cleveland, and I got into Columbia University. And then by that time, I had enough academic credentials to earn the rights of going to MIT. It was a tough road. Well,
0: you know, even even like that's where I want to go. I just imagine from my end, there was never a thought in my mind of like, yeah, I would be able to go there. So just kind of show you that the difference in intelligent levels between the two of us. But um, you've written a book about your journey and starting this organization, uh, Wheelchair Mission. Um, This story starts in 1979 when you and your wife were vacationing in Morocco. And you witnessed the plight of a a woman literally crawling across the the cobblestone streets. I wonder if you'll take us back to that moment.
1: Yeah, we're freshly arrived into Morocco, uh, maybe not more than four or five hours headed for the nearest large city. And it was a medina, which was a part of the city built probably during the Crusades. And the roads were actually dirt. The narrow streets but wide enough for a wagon or you know uh, four or five people to walk down and on the sides of the street was where they had commerce and spices and leather goods and everything else and we're just taking it all in and uh, between the legs of people walking around walking down and up the road there was this woman uh, literally throwing her hands out in front of her, and t- almost like she was digging into the dirt with her fingernails to pull herself a few inches, and then take another grasp with the other hand, and and just staring at the ground, staring at her hands, probably thinking, "Please don't step on me. Please don't step on me." And then people were walking by, going out of their way not to step on her, but treating her like she was, you know, a puddle or some refuge. Nobody willing to bend over and offer help which really bothered me even as much as seeing her uh, become, you know, right off the the plane from America, you want to just solve problems like that. And there was no way we could find a wheelchair for her. I knew she needed a wheelchair, but where would we find one in the Medina? Where would we find one even in Morocco? So we just walked away. Um, And it was like, wow, what do I do with this image? Um, And I avoided it for quite a while, almost 20 years avoided doing anything about the image.
0: So, you know, what about your your upbringing shaped the level of empathy within you to, to actually want to do something to help someone like this uh, for this woman? You know, I, th- I think most people, um, and even well-meaning, good Christian people, especially if they're vacationing, see something like this and think, you know, now's not the time for me to be concerned like this. I, I'm here to relax and recoup. Um, you know, what about your upbringing shaped that level of empathy that, that it, it stayed with you for that long. And even in
1: the moment. Well, I guess, you know, parents had a lot to do with that. And then we were very modest family, very modest income. My father was a machinist for the New York central railroad and, we we built whatever we needed. We repaired whatever broke, and we were frugal in how uh, the money was spent. Um, but um, I don't know. I don't know if it came from that background or just. Uh, I remember when I was in um, Columbia University, not knowing what to do with my career, which was just kind of in the middle of it, as far as an education was was concerned, and people were either going into. Uh, aerospace or automotive or the, you know, uh, Texas instruments and HP were just coming out with calculators and, and um, in the middle of Broadway, I, I stopped traffic. I just, well, it just dawned on me. Uh, how about, why don't I try to help doctors come up with products that could help people? Um, and I froze and then there's honking. This <laughs> is, you know, I, I think back of it, that had to have been God, but it wasn't the, the best timing Of him to give me that message but uh, and then I sort of um, did a not a 180 but a switch and I started taking as many courses I could that would help me prepare to get what was not known back then a biomedical engineering degree and uh, it just seemed to me if I could help people that would be better than helping a company sell products.
0: Most people of faith are, are passionate about their jobs but not many find a way to intersect their vocation with serving others. Um, walk us through your sense of calling to take your expertise and apply it to create cost-effective wheelchairs in developing countries.
1: Well, I, I um, the the reality was, I was working for companies that were making profits on the inventions and the products I would develop. I was very satisfied because that's what they paid me for. I didn't share their riches, but I, you know, I was I was well paid. Um and <clears throat> I was going along fine and quite happy. Um, suddenly uh my teenage daughters, raising teenage daughters, brought my wife and me to our knees. And we were brought up as Christians. I was a congregational, you know, Protestant and my wife was a Catholic, and um, we had kind of drifted apart from going to church. I had this academic explanation for how the universe was created, except for that very start, which I just always gave credit to God. And then um, we remembered what it was like to be told about surrendering. And after a few years of uh, uh, of struggling with teenage challenges we couldn't solve, we did surrender and started coming back to church. Um, and and then, well, you can only be a pedestrian so long in the in the congregation, and soon you've got to get out in the street. So I tried tutoring and I tried mentoring and. Um, and I, I, it wasn't working. A lot of, in I'm in Southern California, a lot of people from Central America come over with their kids and they need to try to get through high school. Um, and a, a, if I had to sum this up in a, a brief um, sort of a play, a scenario, uh, maybe you've gotten a call from God. I don't know. Some people might relate to this, and it really wasn't a call from God. But if I, it took about six months for me to work through this this think, thinking process. And it was like the phone rings in the middle of the night and I pick it up and I can tell from the voice who it is. It's God talking to me. And he said, Don, why are you wasting your time? And I said, what do you mean, Lord? And uh, and uh, the answer was, why don't you use the gifts I gave you? You're not good at tutoring. You're not good at mentoring. You, you don't like people. You're an introvert. Um, I, I see you, you just barely passed psychology. I know what your grades were. Uh, and, uh, I gave you gifts. You can use those much more adequately to help my kingdom. And then he hung up, but that was sort of a, you know, like I said, a six month sort of a, a process. And I'm thinking, well, how can I use my inventive mechanical engineering gifts to help the kingdom? And then of course, this image of this lady crawling across the road in Morocco came back to me. And, you know, she needed a wheelchair. It was clear. So by yourself, uh,
0: this is impressive work. Um, but it's even more impressive um, that you brought others along in the process with you. Tell us about that.
1: Um, well, uh, what I wanted to do was just do a sort of a, a skinny down clinical trial um, to to prove the wheelchairs would work. And then I would publish a paper um and because that's what engineers do they 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 make they they showed with proof some form of proof that your concept works and then that would be the end i wouldn't have to do anything more than that but just there was just one more what i would say coincidence back then i called them coincidences one coincidence after another and and then people would come alongside of me and say you know do you think these are coincidences And I'd say, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't think God has a time to be fooling with, with me and helping me, but uh, no, they're not coincidences that's in, that's his influence. And, and so once I turned that corner and, uh, and struggled, do I give up a a PhD in MIT and do I give up 20 years, 25 years of successful career building in biomedical and blood and then sweat and skin and all these things to do something I've never done before? but so many people wanted to help me maybe even before i asked it for help because they they i i i have stories of the first wheelchairs we gave away and they were literally miracles to the people who got the chairs and they opened the doors for our partners in india to share the gospel um because they could never drive into these villages like we did unannounced and pull out a wheelchair I mean, they could not pull out their Bibles, but when we opened the door and pull out a wheelchair, everybody wants to know what's going on. What are you doing? And uh, we'll tell them what we're doing, find something in the Bible to read to them. And I had to let them do it because I couldn't speak the language, but, uh, and and they just, they saw what was happening. And it helped them do what they want to do. They wanted to, you know, spread the gospel. So they just, uh, that's just an example. They just jumped on board uh, after the first wheelchair And drove me all the way around Chennai, India, just showing me all the people that they wanted to give wheelchairs to, hoping I could bring more. And when I I got home, um, the company I was working for went bankrupt. uh, uh, And I didn't have a job. And people from my big church out here, uh, Irvine um, Mariners Church in Irvine, would call and they they had heard about this success and they'd say, well, what do you want to do next? I said, can you help me get a job? They said, no, no, we're not going to do that. You've got to You've got to follow through this through. This should be your life's ambition now. And so they they were brave enough to tell me what they thought I should be doing with the rest of my life, which struck me. I mean, the people as strangers, I didn't even know. And and they said, Well, and we're gonna send you some money to help you do this. I said, I don't have an organization to accept money. They said, Okay, we'll just we're sending you money anyway. Uh, and it, 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 it was like a, a massive kind of attraction force pushing me into this idea of starting a nonprofit because there were so many people just, you know, they got it. You know, life without a wheelchair, it's got to be terrible, especially in the developing country where people don't help you because they think you're cursed uh, and they shouldn't help you and they, you should just live through your own situation. Uh, and then you want to give them away a wheelchair for, for free. Um, and, and then of course this whole concept of giving away for free and giving, and it all it was all coming from outside sources. A lot of it from God by introducing me to people who knew more about this than I did.
0: I wonder if you'll, you know, looking back over, over all the years you've been doing this, tell us about some of the people you've helped along the way.
1: Well, I have a, a, a short story, which, um, we call 52 because we never did, catch the name of this man it was in India in the parking lot we had just given out 75 wheelchairs and we're just getting things back in the truck and ready to leave and there was this man sitting in one of our wheelchairs probably in his well actually he said we asked him how old he was and he said I'm 52 that's why we call him 52 but he was doing three things he was throwing his hands up in the air praising God and he was probably a Hindu so a Hindu god He was bringing his hands out, wiping tears from his eyes because they were flowing profusely. And he was putting his arms over his chest. It's almost like he was afraid his chest was going to burst. And he was doing this over and over and over again. But he was happy. He wasn't, you know, sad. There was no sorrow here. It was just true happiness. Well, he said, why are you doing this? And he says, I'm 52 years old. About 10 years ago, I was at a train station. People came and robbed me, took everything I had. Everything in my life was in my pocket. They took it all and they threw me in front of a train and the train came and cut off my legs above my knees. And then he said, today is the first day that anybody's ever done anything kind to me in my whole life. Oh, that's, that's gripping. I mean, uh, um, what do you, how, how do you react to this? How do you walk away? Um, people that... Um, have been locked up in their homes, not locked up. Mainly, they're not a prisoner. They're a prisoner to the ground because they've lost their ability to get off the ground and they either crawl or they're carried or they, if they're too heavy and too fragile, they languish in the back room until they die. And they're kept alive by their families who are then their wheelchairs. And they've been in there 40, um, 25 years, haven't seen daylight for 25 years. And you get them in a chair and, I mean... They don't know what to say about this. This is nothing they've ever expected happening. There's no explanation. Why would we be doing this? We're telling them it's for free. And so most of the time they don't doubt. They don't, they doubt what we told them until we leave and they have the chair. And then we get them in and we, our chairs now you can adjust them and make sure it's a good fit for them. So they're comfortable and they'll want to use it. And we said, you want to go outside? And they see they look at you like, is that Okay. I've been here so long. I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go outside. Let's go. And um, we put them outside and it's just like just like being born for them. And people walk by and some people say, I thought you died years ago. Hmm. Uh, and 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 then I mean, it's it's all this happens in a matter of just a, um, a few minutes. They're on the ground or in the bed, and they they see you. They see your knees if they're in the bed. They're on the ground. They see your feet, and they don't even look when you put them in the chair. And their eye to eye contact with you, they don't even look the same. And their dignity has been restored, and uh, their mobility will soon be restored to some extent if they can push the wheelchairs or if they have family to to be their attendants. And it's almost like it's a different person who's who's just there in front of you and they're crying they're laughing they're smiling they they want to hug you 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 want to hug them and it's um it's just an amazing experience to bring somebody from where they were imprisoned on the ground to a place where they're up above the ground and have mobility
0: we need to pause to tell you about one of our
1: annual sponsors christian Healthcare ministries
0: You want to create a strong Christian family that will uphold one another through thick and thin. What if healthcare worked the same way? With Christian Healthcare Ministries, budget-friendly, compassionate care is within your reach. CHM empowers you to pursue excellence in healthcare without added stress or the need to cut corners. Whether you're looking for a comprehensive maternity program or the flexibility to choose your own providers, CHM has options to fit your family's specific needs. As the nation's first and longest serving health cost sharing ministry, you can rest assured knowing that you are making a difference in the lives of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Plus, you'll receive all the faith-based support of joining the larger CHM family. Encouragement and spiritual resources created for you and your little ones is just the beginning. Sounds different? It's by design. Join hundreds of thousands of members and discover the biblical solutions to your health care costs. To learn more, visit chministries.org. Since 2016, CBF has brought episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast Talk to us about how wheelchair mission functions and in, in 94 different developing countries.
1: Well, we, uh, you know, we had wise counsel from, uh, this church. I mentioned Mariners because they do what they do a lot of outreach and they said, you've got to put up a website. You've got to explain what you have to offer. And we had agreed in the very beginning. The only way we could economically ship wheelchairs is by full ocean container, 550 at a time, um, and we get a lot of calls from people that wanted only fifty or seventy-five or twenty-five, you know, enough for their congregation, say, or whatever. And we say, no, you, you, we can't do that. It's going to cost you more, going to cost us more than if we ship it in a whole ocean container. But have no fear, if you're in a city like Lima and you draw uh, a radius of five miles, you'll be able to get five hundred and fifty within that radius. And and some would trust us, and others uh, we don't sure yet. We'll get back to you. And it was sort of a slow start, but the word of mouth came that we had this v- very functional wheelchair that we're willing to give them for free. We'll pay for shipping, and we'll deliver to their port, and then they take it from there. And over the years, we've come up with lots of ways of regulating that process, auditing the, the, pay, the mm-hmm. partners, we call them distribution partners, training them, uh, because it's a big part of training. A lot of these people you're only going to see once. They're not going to stay. A lot of people that we've given to, they haven't seen a doctor. They don't know why they can't walk. They've been told this because they've had, they've been cursed or something, but, uh, and so, uh, we've got to make sure that in that one visit, we get it so that it's as comfortable as possible. So we've done a lot of work in, in teaching these distribution partners how to do that. So they'll be happy after we leave. And, um, You know, there's been partners who couldn't do it. We've tried. 94 countries right now are active in about 50 countries um, because they're the ones that are doing the best job. Um, 75, at least 75% are Christian and they give a Christian message. Um, There's countries where we have a difficulty or our partners have a difficulty time talking about Christianity in public or religion in general in public. The communist countries is a good example. But uh, the message that is given to the people who get these chairs is that when Jesus walked this earth, he had a special um, love for the poor and disabled. And in in that spirit, we want you to feel like you're loved by Jesus and loved by God. And when you're in this wheelchair, you're in his hands. He's protecting you and you're not cursed. You're beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, And they they hear this message for the first time most of the time it's the first time and they and they it's it's it challenges them because that's contrary to what they've been told about their their curses and all this um and some of our partners that have the time to go back and follow up and and then build ramps for churches because nobody in a wheelchair could get into a church because there's big steps along the way and and you know and then ask questions what is what did that message mean, really? Could you tell me, could you break it down for me um, about this God that I've never heard of, who actually loves me? Um, it's a very strong uh, tool for missionaries to give away wheelchairs uh, and uh, we can't provide enough of them. And so that we work with the countries that do the best job. You know, it a uh, missionaries are hard it's a hard job to be a missionary in a developing country, even if it's a a, a country that there is freedom of worship. Uh, because um, there's, they don't have enough to really give away to people, and they never, never have enough, never have enough time. But a wheelchair it makes uh, it gives the missionary a sort of a reputation. Oh, you're the wheelchair guys, and politicians want to get wheelchairs to their congregation and because or their constituents, because it's very newsworthy. When you give away a bunch of wheelchairs, the press will be there, the mayor will be there, uh, and, and and it helps people and then people wind up helping the missionary in exchange wow uh it's happened over and over and we've built churches in india because uh people just come in with 100 wheelchairs and the villagers get the wheelchairs and suddenly the the mayor or the elder what can we do to help you guys and said well we just need a place to meet we need a meeting <laughs> spot uh, and so they'll give them a little bit of land they'll put up something with hay and straw and logs and and then they're in there singing songs or singing hymns. And then pretty soon it's the church and those all happened because of the wheelchairs.
0: Tell us about some of the people that have inspired been inspired by your work and have partnered with you. You know, I have to note to our audience that the books Fords is written by Super Bowl MVP, Nick Foles.
1: Well, we've uh, we, we involve people like Nick in fundraising here in Orange County, uh, and to speak for us in our behalf. Uh, he's a strong Christian and he's got a, uh, you know, a celebrity background and, uh, uh, he, he's given, he's spoken, cut videos for us many times and he agreed to be, uh, and, uh, write the forward of the book, but, you know, people come alongside, uh, and, um, they're inspired by what we do. And, you know, we're a very efficient operation. We've given out one over 1.3 million wheelchairs so far, and the uh, and that that goes to a group that the World Health Organization claims is 75 million in the in the world living in mainly in developing countries who need a wheelchair. And so, 1.3 million is not a lot. It's it's a it's a scratch, and we can do all this for 96 dollars. That's what it costs for us to have a wheelchair made in India or in China. Suck in a container, shipped. We do all the training, the audits, the uh, fitting training, the assembly training, um, and we even audit how many people get a message. Uh, and we do all that for ninety-six dollars. Once the container arrives at the port of the country or the nearest port to the country, it's their it's their property, and they they have to do what we tell them. And we check in as uh, as often as we can and visit them. And now that the COVID is now dying in the world, I'm hoping uh, we'll be doing our visits more. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it, it's a form of, it's almost like a contagious thing going on. Uh, more people hear about it, the more people want to get involved. And, and right now we're, you know, we're always strapped for funds and we have just enough distribution partners. We can't keep them waiting too long, you know, cause they, we want them to go out and find people who need a wheelchair and give us their measurements and then they order the wheelchairs they want from us. And that whole process takes probably four months if there's no interruptions. Um, and, uh, and we, we got to keep it moving along because when you tell somebody, we'd like to give you a wheelchair, it's like, what? You're going to do what? And then you get their hopes up. And the partners want to be back there as soon as possible with, to uh, fulfill their hope.
0: So let's go right there. How, how can people get involved and free wheelchair missions,
1: well, we, our website is freewheelchairmission.org, and that's really the best place to go and you can order the book. Um, it's called uh, Wheels Miracle Wheels." Uh, and uh, we use that title because it, the people that we give chairs to, that's how they explain it. This is a miracle. they They have no other explanation. Um, and uh, we do lots of events locally in Orange County but we're now expanding into ways that people can do it uh, fun. They can be ambassadors for us. They can raise funds for us. We have uh, something coming up in the spring called um, mobility wheel, uh, wheels for mobility. And you know, they they can start their own marathon. They can start their own uh, 5k walk. They can paddle canoes. They can skip rope they, and people come up with all these ideas of how how to raise money. And they asked their relatives and friends, would you contribute to me? Like, for example, if I can skip the rope 10,000 times, how much uh, would you give me a penny per, for skip? And, you know, so people are becoming very creative at raising the funds for us uh, around the country.
0: Let's talk about the, the white house congressional medal of honor. What was that experience like?
1: Well, yeah. Uh, it wasn't the Congressional Medal of Honor that's given to soldiers for above and beyond duty from the president. Uh, what it was, uh, there's a group of soldiers who received this award, Congressional Medal of Honor Society, and they're members of the society. And there's about 150 of them living. Most of them, are, are, the awards are given long after they've passed away because it's taken a while to figure out what who the hero was. And they decided they wanted to have an award to give people um, for doing peacetime equivalents to a, a wartime hero would do and so they started this organization and um, they chose me as one of the first recipients and we went to Arlington Cemetery and I met him and then we had a we had a, a, a sort of a benefit down near the, the Capitol, and there are three or four of them in wheelchairs uh, it was so moving because they were just uh, uh, yeah you've heard this all the time when you when you hear you heard them talking in the news. I was just a guy. I just did what I I should do. I I'm no more of a hero than anyone else. I just happened to step forward at that time and but they got what we were doing about wheelchairs. They're in a wheelchair and they understood how many people become in wheelchairs because of a war they've been in. And it was a very moving uh, to see. The support we're getting from them.
0: You know, we obviously see uh, Jesus in the gospel bringing sight back to the blind, heal, uh, healing to the to the sick, strength back to the lame. However, almost all of us don't have the uh, ability to perform those kinds of miracles. Um, You're obviously um have translated the theological call of jesus to care for the least of these by utilizing your skills to give people mobility what are your words of wisdom for those seeking to do the same theologically translating the giftedness god has given them to care for their neighbors in practical ways
1: well i i think i was sort of an exception because of because of this you know uh hypothetical call from god but um I think in anybody's life, there are things that happen that they can't explain. And if you put these on, uh, on a piece of paper, maybe would, uh, in a dot and put that event, uh, maybe the name, something to remind you of what that dot was standing for. Um, I think there's, there's God's communicating to everybody about the, how, to, how to discover our purpose. And I'm, and I think a lot of times people I overlooked those communication points. And I was 59 before I put it together. Uh, no, 50 uh, before I could actually see it together. And um, and I think you know uh, sometimes people discount their talents. That, that they're and maybe it's not something they they're practicing in their day to day life because they're asked to do a job that they need the money and. Uh, they're, they're parents but they're not maybe good at being parents and but there's other things that they really at one time or other were good at and maybe having a chance to practice and is there something that be, could be made out of that uh, and it's just maybe it's just helping the neighbor across the street you know knocking on a door and seeing if you know everything's okay um, maybe it's volunteering in a church maybe it's you know, telling people at, where they work or Uh, You know, I've been thinking about trying to get something going in my community. Uh, Anybody here want to help me? Uh, I mean, because I really do believe this is what God is trying to tell us all, uh, how to build his kingdom. Don, uh,
0: lastly, and probably our most serious question. um, At what point did you realize you have one of the greatest mustaches that we've ever had on this podcast? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, that's good news. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I guess and it is uh, i've I've been threatened uh, by other people that I should uh, not threatened, but told I should get rid of my mustache. Oh no, uh, it's too it's glorious.
0: Most- you should never get rid of that
1: most of the time it's kind of a mess but uh (laughs) and i I am a little bit more conscientious now about trimming it at least to make it look reasonable but um that's how i'm identified in a crowd Uh, (laughs) there's usually in a crowd of you know 200 people there's maybe four or five men with mustaches but they at least they narrow it down to who's the guy with the wheelchairs who who does the wheelchairs there's a guy with a mustache sitting over there um and uh uh, I've told, uh, in, in various fundraisers, I said for a million dollars, I'd shave it off because I, I know <laughs> it, I know it will grow back anyway. <laughs> and so far I haven't, I haven't been able to raise the interest in that, in the, for that proposition.
0: Yeah. Well, for our audience, it, they're now guaranteed that they're going to do a, a web search of your picture, but I'm just going to go ahead and out there and say, you're, you're putting Sam Elliott to shame. That's, a, that's all I have to say. That, that's high regards for my end.
1: I'll look up Sam Elliott and see what he oh, looks no. like.
0: Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah, great uh, great actor. Played a lot of Western movies and things of that nature. So, uh, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, our guest is Dr. Don uh, Schoendorfer. The book is Miracle Wheels. If you want to stay connected with Don, visit freewheelchairmission.org. Uh, Don, it's been a joy uh, talking with you. Uh, thank you for reminding us that the loss of mobility... In all its forms, changes everything. But the gift of mobility also changes everything.
1: Well, thank you. It's 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 great to to talk to you, and I'm I'm hoping the listeners will uh, maybe follow through and connect, and and if not, connect with us. Maybe it'll be motivation for them to connect with something.
0: Before we wrap up, we need to tell you about one more of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Are you looking for a Bible study resource for your church? Responding to an invitation from the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Virginia, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky has produced Bible study resources that is available for free of charge. The study title, Faithful Curiosity, Five-Week Study of Luke and Acts, deals with three passages from Luke and two passages from Acts. It offers Bible study methods and provides two interpretive essays for each passage. The writers are BSK faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Download this resource for free today at bsk.edu backslash faithful. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Go ahead and click that subscribe button. Be sure to rate and review the podcast as it helps others find us. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.